So we were at practice, we were in the weight room, we were in the locker room, we were stuffed in lockers, we were taped to goalposts by the players. You know, we were part of it. I wished I would have had a chance to have been mentored by a John Harbaugh and a, and a Jim Harbaugh before I ever started my coaching career. I'll tell you what, I'd have been a better coach. You gotta come up with some new material because they've heard jokes before. Or you tell some of the old jokes because the new guys, you wink at the old guys. Like, yeah, here it comes, you know, but. Welcome into the lounge for the highly anticipated interview with John Harbaugh and his dad, Jack Harbaugh. You know, we told the listeners last week that we were working on this, that we had a podcast on the way, in the works, um, and that it was going to be well worth the wait. And we have a feeling that that's going to be the case today. Yeah, good stuff. So with that in mind, we're, we're going to skip the emails. You know, you don't. How, you don't how, keep the you don't no. keep high, you don't keep the hardballs waiting. Yeah, you don't keep big time guests like this waiting. <laughs> but as always, you can reach us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. And with that said, let's jump into our interview. Thank you guys so much for doing this. Uh, but we got to start out with this question. This is, I think, the most important question. Okay, when Dad visited visits. Who pays for dinner? Because I'm still in that mode <laughs> where when I go out with my folks, I break out the credit card at the end, but I kind of hope that they say, put it away. You know what I mean? How's this go with you guys? The way I do it is I do what I call the four corners. You know, you grab your pockets, then you grab and, <laughs> oh, and then hope that John will jump in and say, let me get this. Okay. <laughs> I will say, though, every now and again, and it happens pretty often, you know, depending on the, you know, sort of where we go, maybe. All of a sudden, you'll see, Dad, all of a sudden, the, the, the waitress will come out and everything will already be paid for. Uh -huh. He already slipped the credit card nice. in there. So he can move pretty quickly when he wants to. But there's a science to that. <laughs> you do pick the venue. <laughs> yeah, I'll get, I'll get ice cream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's always good. Yeah, right. Dirt's on me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're not having dessert? <laughs> So uh, one thing that's been fun through this first week is uh, there's been this talk of callousing up young players. You know, you talked about it on podium, and then you sent the text about callousing up young players and the challenge of that. You know, after being here for a few days, you're here for a week. I'm curious, have you seen that? Have you seen these guys getting calloused up out there on the field? <laughs> I, I really have, it, it, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm so interested in John's concept uh -huh. of, uh, I call it the glide. You, do you have a name for it? Uh, you glide into the season. I think we're talking about, we've talked about ramping it yeah, up. Yeah, ramping you know, up, yeah. And building up to it. B ramping up. Right. That's probably a better way to say it. But I really think that that's so very much in, so important. It's, it's interesting. These young guys out here, especially the young, young players, I mean, this is the NFL. This is their chance. And their mind's telling them they have to be going 200 miles an hour. Yep. And they take that field. When that whistle blows, it's time to play. I mean, everything is 200 miles right. an hour, and the body hasn't acquainted itself, acclimated itself to that. And you can almost predict that there's going to be you know, soft muscle, muscle tissue type injuries and that type of thing. Totally agree. I mean, it's, it's amazing what we've done and it kind of, I don't know how, it just kind of evolves. I mean, these things are not things that the rules and the way they are and, and things aren't maybe always thought through, but we have this new CBA coming up. So maybe we'll have a chance to, to do this a little bit better. But if you think about it, guys, they, they do their off season training. The rookies really only have for five weeks. 
but they do their off season training. Then they leave for four to five weeks. Yeah. Then they come back, they take a physical, and they practice right. Right, right out of the gates. And they say, well, it's an acclimation period for two days. It's still practice. They're still yeah. going fast. You know, still flying around. You know, then they put pads on the third day. That doesn't seem like enough time. And you know, you see a lot of injuries early, and we've had that issue here, as you both know, man, way too much. So, this was a real blessing this year to try out a new idea. And uh, so far, so good. And I think the other thing is the the you do the weights and you do the running and you pull things and you do all the things they do in the weight room. But when you come out here, you put the body in very uncomfortable, unacquainted. Positions that you don't put them in for defensive right. back. He's going up for the ball, his body twists and he's going to come down, you know, some way. And he has to get that with balls being thrown and those things happening, football things happening, for him to get adjusted. I think. Yeah. My, well, my follow-up question is: Are Garrett and I part of the young generation, or are we calloused up veterans? At this point? <laughs> well, that's think? a very good point. I. I you know, I think you're part of Cal. You're kind of callous stuff. You guys are, yes. You guys are, well, you're, you know, it's the only time you, being older is a good thing. But, you know, you guys, you guys dress kind of young. You got the young stylish haircuts. You got but, the young style. I don't really, for the record. Right, right, I did, yeah. You, you can't, you, you can't kid yourself, you know. There's a lot of calluses on there, a lot of scars. But scars are good, yeah, you know. No. Scars are positive. They've got a story. That's, that's right. When there's a scar, you know, the bones heal stronger after they've been broken. You guys have been beat up a little bit. Well, one, one thing we also noticed, I don't know if you know this or not John but there's always a tweet about generally speaking from somebody out there that goes to our press conferences not us or anything but somebody will take a picture of you and tweet it out right it's like a daily wardrobe kind of uh, really yeah they, they like to document what you wear right because okay. there's a lot of fans out there you know think you're stylish all this stuff <laughs> Ooh, that's nice to know <laughs> all this stuff right so it's called the daily harball is what people will call it seriously yeah, yeah. Uh, dead serious yeah so one thing that we've noticed is the chase alliance t-shirt and, and a lot of guys have been wearing all this stuff and and i kind of looked it up it, it's from mark batterson's yes. 2016 book by that name and and just for the the listeners out there i'll give kind of mark's synopsis of it in a paragraph it says chase the lion is more than a catchphrase it's a radically different approach to life it's only when we stop fearing failure that we can fully seize opportunity by the main. Quit playing it safe and start running towards the roar. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you and how you're instilling it in the team? Well, right, and it's, he talks about uh, Benaya, who was one of uh, David's 37 mighty men back in the King, king David's era when he was king, and, and the, kind of the warrior times a little bit, and those guys were mighty, mighty wars, and Benaniah gets two sentences, I think it's in the book of Samuel, and basically, one of the sentences is that he chased a lion on a snowy day into a pit and killed it. Mm. And the whole thing kind of comes from that one sentence. Like, what does that mean when you start to think about that? Let I me mean, just start with the first that's line. He chased intense. the lion. Right, that's pretty intense. I mean, is that what we do? <laughs> do we see a lion? Do we normally chase I'm a lion? I'm more of a flight guy. Yeah. <laughs> but you think about the lion probably, when you take off running, that probably doesn't work too well either. So what do you do when you come across a lion? Well, Benaiah decided to chase it. The fact that the lion ran from Benaiah, I think it's pretty impressive. Right. This must have been a bad dude to start with. But he chases the lion into a pit. It's like, okay, so I'm picturing that. The lion, he's chasing, the lion's running from Benaiah. Benaiah's running after him, and all of a sudden the lion falls into a pit. Maybe it was a trap or something like that. Right. I don't know. Falls into the pit. Well, he's in the pit. I mean, I'm thinking, we're done. John's done here. <laughs> this is good. Lion's <laughs> in the pit. I accomplished my goal, you know? So Benaiah, instead of, did what he, he jumps in the pit. You know, somebody's going to come out of the pit, right? And uh, somehow Benaiah came out of the pit, you know? And it was so interesting because one of our players had, 
had mentioned the lion. Well, it's all a great story and everything. You know, it's all good. But come on, come on. The guy jumps into a pit and kills a lion. <laughs> We're supposed to believe that. So right about then, you know, by Providence, all of a sudden, this gets sent to me is a lion spike. And the Maasai tribe in Africa, one of the rites of passage, and it goes back thousands of years, is that their young warriors at some point in time had to kill a lion because they, they, they were cattle raising tribe and they had to protect their, their cattle from lions and other predators. Right. And lions had to be killed. And they didn't, I don't think they were hitting them with a spear on the run. Yeah. So they would draw the lion's attention and they had this bone, cow bone spike that they had a little grip on it, pointed on both ends. And so I, I heard that, and I got up in front of the team room. I said, so some of you guys don't believe that lions can be killed with your bare hands, right? Well, I'm pretty sure that these guys had a plan. I'm pretty sure that they prepared themselves. I don't think but I had jumped into the pit with no idea of how he was going to kill the lion, right? You know? A lot of people say we can't win the Super Bowl, too. We got a plan, don't we? And I pulled out the lion spike. Nice. And showed them how they do it. This is like the sword in the locker room. It almost. was a great moment. You know, the guy's like, ooh, okay. We're starting to see it. So, yeah, chase the line is bigger than just a catchphrase. That's awesome. Well, it's tough to follow up, uh, you know, that story here as another question. <laughs> but I'm curious, one thing that we've kind of heard from players over this past week is just how they feel like at the start of camp, there's kind of momentum building, which is kind of strange to hear about at the start of camp because it's it's the start of it. But they feel like it was a strong offseason. Uh, the second half of the season, they played well. Um, there's just this feeling of a sense of urgency and momentum at the start of the year. I'm curious, do you guys feel that? I mean, you, you've been out here for a week now. Have, have you seen that? Have you felt that out there when you're watching these practices? And is it any different? I, I've been tremendously impressed yeah. with, with the attitude. When you're out on the field and you walk around, you, you see, uh, you, see uh, you mentioned it, momentum. Mm -hmm. you, you, see it, you, you see it beginning and you, uh, players feeding off of each other. Uh, I think the competition between the mm. offense and defense right. has been that. Mm. The defense, you know, one play they'll rise up. Then the offense, they get they rise, and 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 all boats are lifted uh, through competition. Right. And, and you see that it, it, it's very evident to me. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you know, you just kind of grind it away, and you don't always see the forest for the trees or whatever. But but I can certainly sit in there and see the plays that are being made and the competitions at a high level. And I think Ozzie and Eric, and and the, and the scouting side has done an amazing job. Of building a deep roster yeah so you know it's it's fun for a coach because you can coach guys up and, and let the chips fly as we tell our guys and see see how they stack up when it's all said and done and all along the way you get better doing it so I see plays being made by the offense I see defenses being forced to knock balls down and get get the ball out and uh, but really in the end you know like you said first couple of days that you're excited but practice and we stack and we want to get better every day and these practices are so important but you really can't wait to play the game yeah you know just see the guys in a game situation so hey Thursday night we get a chance to do that yeah well one guy that's been all the talk of training camp so far is Joe Flacco and Peter King came out to practice and said yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback have a better practice than Joe had on Thursday and Peter's seen a lot of practices. Peter's seen a lot of practices. Yeah, he's seen a few of them, yeah. And there's a lot of people saying that you know Joe's practicing at an all-time all-time for him high do you agree with that? Do you see Joe playing the best at this point of the season, obviously before games, that, that you've ever seen? I don't know. You know, he played pretty good in that Super Bowl run. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, if he could beat that, we're all going to be in great yeah, shape. No but I, but uh, I, see, I, see, I see Joe. I see, I, I told Peter this. I said, I see Joe Flacco. I see Joe, the real Joe Flacco. I see him bouncing his steps, smile on his face. <clears throat> it's like his tail's wagging when he walks out to practice. You <laughs> can't wait to get out there and go. And he's great with the guys, coaching guys up. And confident, you know, putting a foot in the ground and firing the ball in there and, and having a lot of belief that those guys are going to come up with the ball, which they are. So, yeah. to me, all that builds on 
each other and you get better and it starts looking pretty good. So again, you got to go do it in games and all that, but so far so good. One thing, sorry, go ahead. No, no I was going to say that the, the, the new addition of some of these receivers yeah. has, has really made a tremendous difference on the offensive side of the ball in my judgment. You know, we've been coming out here for all these different years and you can see separation. A, a player comes out, runs a simple stop route. He comes down 11 yards, stops and comes back. He yep. does it in a professional way where you drive, you, you put the illusion of speed in that defensive back's mind to where he wants to get out of there. He doesn't want to get beaten deep. Turns around and there's separation. Bang. Ball's thrown. Joe's uh, you know, getting the ball to him. A, a crossing route, you come down, you plant that foot, make a move. Defensive back, there's about a two-yard window there that he needs to close. Yep. Joe's getting the, the ball. The ball's coming out of his hands so much quicker, but I think it's because of the the addition of some receivers and, yeah. and experienced receivers that understand how to create that separation. Even on those deep routes, I've noticed that it's just it's just that little bit at the end. It's just that little separate. These guys like are pros who know how to just get it to just enough to make that play. It seems go like. go back just a few years ago though, Steve Smith. Yeah, wasn't he able to do exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah, veteran came in. Reminds me of like the way they just effortlessly effortlessly catch the ball. It's like you, they don't necessarily always look open, and then Crabtree just – Steve was the same way. It just seems that way in practice, their ability to just right there, and, it, and they make it look so easy. Yeah. One, one thing, John, I wanted to point out is uh, – another Google search here. The av- <laughs> av- I knew it was serious research on this podcast <laughs> if you didn't catch that already. This might have been Wikipedia. I'm not sure. So we'll have to check the facts on this. But the average marriage in the United States lasts 8.2 years. You've been with Joe – for 10.2 years. <laughs> so first of all, congratulations. <laughs> Second. I guess. <laughs> I'm still picturing that in my mind. It's, <laughs> so it's a weird mental image, I'm sorry. <laughs> so first of all, what is something that, that is completely misunderstood about Joe since you've been with him for so long by fans or by the media? Passion, I mean passion. You know, whatever, whatever, the, whatever that perception is and whatever people feel like it portrays in a little, a little TV snapshot, is not Joe. Joe is a fiery dude, you know. We were playing golf uh, for a charity event right before training camp started. And, uh, and he was out there competing and going crazy. And, and he was great with the people. You know, he did a great job. Yeah. But what caught me was afterwards. So we get into a conversation around the, around the, well, the peanuts and a beer or two. And uh, the politics came up. <laughs> Man, and you guys know, you get Joe into a conversation, he'll tell you what he thinks now. He yeah. got passionate oh, yeah. about it. He was real smart and real good. But he'll let you know. He was kind of a little, I got a little argumentative. I'm like, yeah, this, this is the guy. We see him every day in the cafeteria. He's the same guy in the locker room with the guys going at it back and forth. And then competing on the practice field. The passion for everything. Passion for his family, you know, his kids. He, Dad, you got to get him rolling his eyes about his kids. You could tell that story real quick when you saw him. Well, he saw him in the locker room and we were, we're talking. I mentioned about his family, you know, and he turned around. I said, well, how about do they, do they compete? Compete? <laughs> they compete every day. And I, and I love every minute of it. I mean, it was a, a part of Joe that, you know, the fans may not see, but, but he's a complete individual on and off the field, family, team at home with his family and the team here in the locker room. And, and I totally agree with John. The other thing I love about Joe is very comfortable with who he is. Yeah. Mm. Not trying to be anybody else, never has, even when he was 21 years old coming in here. He knows who he is. He's been raised the right way. Obviously, the Flacco's are a great family. Very confident, but you know, just real, real comfortable in his own skin. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So one thing I want to talk with you guys about, and it's, this is kind of an interesting football conversation that's taking place right now, and you obviously come from two different schools of thought in terms of just the errors that you coached in, but is this concept of analytics. 
So when you were coaching, there was probably analytics probably never came up, I would guess. And now it's certainly part of the equation and there's kind of different schools of thought on it. But you know, you may, I hate, I don't mean to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but like you think back though, there's always been this cutting edge thing in football as uh-huh. opposed to other sports. And whether it was called analytics or not, I can remember when I first started, or when you first started, you had those cards that you'd punch in, you punch out to try to figure out what the tendencies were, and you'd punch them out and do it all by hand, sort it. Oh, wow. Then when I first came in with you, the computer came out. Yeah. And we'd get this, this old computer paper, you'd rip off the sides, and we'd come out and print, <laughs> yeah. and we'd go through that, flip through that thing, and you'd start to get the tendencies. And but so was, the coaches have always been looking for edges. But it was all words. In those, the first computer that came out, it was just a word type thing. You know, you ran on the right hash mark, you ran this play, da 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 da. No pictures, no no drawings, wow. no, no nothing like that okay. with uh, with video. Now it's taken its whole new path into into, right. into drawings of plays right. and videos and and that type of thing. And then now the analytics, which is a strategical part of it, is like what happens and why you should make certain choices. Probably is the cutting edge thing you're talking about. Yeah, it just seems like it's. I mean, and even within current NFL head coaches, it seems like there's kind of differing schools of thought. Right. Like Gruden, you probably saw at the combine this year, made the comment of like, "I'm trying to take the game back to 1995, and I'm not really into analytics." And other coaches are very much uh, want that to be a big piece of what they're doing. And and I was just curious, basically. You know, obviously here you have embraced it uh, both on the coaching side and on the scouting side and how that, you know, your thoughts on that considering it's something that's completely new compared to when you were coaching. I think it's fantastic, but I think you can take it too far. I think there's so much you can get today. In the old days, I mean, you had to to find something. I mean, you had to wade through masses of of, of paper in, in order to get it. Now you look at... I want what first and 10 on the right hash mark at the 21 yard line going in. I mean, you hit a button, boom, and all the, the videos on the film for you, for you to see. And it, there's so much knowledge that I think you can absorb yourself and wear yourself out, uh, you know, going too deep into it. And well, I think some of the interesting things too are the, are, the, are, the, are the probabilities that go with it. So from a decision-making standpoint, it's like historically speaking, we can even go to track a coordinator back through his whole career and come up with an idea on play calls and things like that or what's been successful. And then you can apply it to the defense or some of the players. I mean, they, they're way deep in what they can do. But to me, it's information. I mean, I want information. I want good information. I don't want fluff. I want good information that can make a difference. And I want, I want, to, know, I want to know what the, basically the math says is the right thing to do. But in the end, nothing replaces a human brain. Nothing replaces the feel for the game. So you take the information and you and you and you apply it. You just make it, you make it part of. You make it, it's like one of the file folders in your in your file cabinet. Right. It's not the whole file, yeah. you know, as far as that goes. And if you can kind of keep it in perspective that way, then hopefully it can be really beneficial. The good thing is, like we have here, we have great people, Eugene and Daniel and the people that we have, Corey. I mean, those guys. You know, you, you beg them, give me, give me, give it to me in a way I can understand it. You know what I mean? <laughs> help me, help me handle this, so you can, so you can during a game you can think about it. Matt Weiss, one of our coaches, he's the guy that kind of translates it during the game for us, to me in my head, mm-hmm. in the headsets, and uh, and helps make decisions. So to me, that stuff is really invaluable if you have the right people helping you take that information and make sense of it. Right. Back back in the '70s, when I was at Michigan, all this was just starting and. You'd come out with reams of paper and, and Bo Schembechler, you know, as old school as you could possibly ever want. And on uh, during the season, he would he would say, beginning of the season, you know what, this stuff is good. This stuff is good. I want <laughs> I want all of it I could get. Uh, Thursday night, uh, bring me all this stuff so I can take it home. Thursday night, we're not meeting and and study it and and on our play calling 
it'll make a difference in the play calling. I'll be calling the plays on, on Saturday. So he would, he would actually, it would look like a wheelbarrow. He, a wheelbarrow <laughs> and he would roll it out the front door and load it into his trunk, just pile upon pile upon pile upon pile. And we assumed he took it home and studied it. Then on Saturday, we ran off tackle right, off tackle right, off tackle left. You got to check out the dumpster on his way home. If he if he if he were absorbing at pressure time, he was going back to the old fashioned. That's great. Well, I want I want to take it a little bit larger. You know, from two great coaches, I kind of want to just talk about coaching. You know, and and really the personal side of it. What's it like to be a, a parent and a coach? How difficult is it to find that balance? Because the life of a coach and a head coach is, I mean, all all consuming. The time that you guys spend in the job. How do you balance being a parent and a coach? Well, I'd probably, let me start with that because I think the thing that 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 we learned growing up was, and really mom taught this, and and I would translate this way. The balance is not so much 50-50, it's 100-100. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've you got to be 100% committed to your, to your team and your family and your job, and at the same time, 100% committed to your family. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you, gotta, you can spend 100% time in any one place. <laughs> you know, it's not about the time. It's not a pie. It's, it's your commitment level. And when we were growing up, that's how it was. I mean, mom made sure that we were around dad's job. So we were at practice, we were in the weight room, we were in the locker room, we were stuffed in lockers, we were taped to goalposts by the players. You know, we were part of it, you know, we were part of the teams. And uh, so, so, and dad would be working, he'd be at football practice, but we were with, we were there, we were part of it too. Right. So you were part of the whole deal too. Then when, when he came home, he's running around with us and playing games or whatever, or we'd lay on the floor and listen to Cavs games of Bingo Smith shoot, throwing up threes in 1976. <laughs> Pete Franklin. Pete Franklin, yeah. <laughs> Talk show. You know, and that's that's kind of what we did. So so that was I think they I think mom our mom our mom and dad struck the perfect balance with that, and that's what we try to do here. So I don't know if you had a plan, but that's the way it was. When we were going through the Super Bowl experience, when John and Jim were playing the Super Bowl, we had an interview in our home, and and, uh, and someone asked a question, and, and and Jackie came with an answer I'd never heard before, and in in what John just described, as she said, in, in raising our children, her children at the time, because I was so involved in football, that she wanted her children to know what their father did every day. When he left at six o'clock in the morning and came back at 11 o'clock at night, he left before the sun came up and left, came home way after the sun. What did this guy do? (laughs) So she brought him to our work. She would, when they were in strollers, she would bring them out to practice and they would stand, sit there and roll around in the grass and a ball would come over and they would, they would catch it and the players would come over and say hello to him, make a fuss about him. She wanted to know that. Yeah. Uh, we would bring them in off season, bring them to the office. You know, we'd be in there doing some work, cutting up some film and doing those kinds of things. They would come run around the office. Again, they would run into... Bo's office at the time or someone else's office and get a ball. You disappear for three hours. Where are they? Mm-hmm. Here they came back over at the OIM building, mm-hmm. playing games over there with, with, with students. But she wanted them to know. And then in about 1976, uh, Jackie was talking to Millie Schembechler. And, uh, and Millie asked about the, the boys. And, and, and Millie happened to say, well, did they ever go over to the office? This is before kind of all that started. And, Jackie said, no, they have this big canvas fence around practice and we can't get in. Yeah. 
So mysteriously on Monday. <laughs> I bet Bo was thrilled. <laughs> Jackie about that. But uh, that was like on a weekend, Bo came back on Monday. He says, you know, I've been giving this a <laughs> You know, he said, the, the kids should come around. You know, I don't know why the kids don't come around. Said, well, it's because you put this fence around there. Won't let them in there. He said, I want them to come. It's and amazing so, how influential so the we're playing, can be. So we're playing Ohio State, probably 77, 78. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's like the week before Thanksgiving, and our seasons, Little League seasons were over. So all the coaches' kids were out there playing on the, they had the field, right next to the field. We were out there playing a tackle football game while the team was practicing, right? Somehow a ball got overthrown onto the field during the Michigan-Ohio State practice up near where Bo was at. <laughs> we looked around at each other. Jim was the youngest. Sent Jim to go get the ball. Harbaugh, get your kid off the field. For the hell sake. are those kids doing on my practice field? <laughs> and I was a secondary coach, and I got my back behind the I'm behind the defense, and the ball the ball guy's over my shoulder. I can see the ball going. And I'm seeing where it's coming from, and I'm saying, "Please, dear God, don't let this be one of mine." And sure enough, here comes one of mine. He gets gets chewed out and. Uh, but uh, but Jackie, that's what she visualized, and Bo bought into it. And then the thing that I enjoy, uh, John here on Saturdays in the season, they have open up the mm -hmm. building for players, kids, and. There's and, always kids. Uh, right yeah, it's here. even more oh. than that. If you oh, had a kid. No, Jimmy Smith's son Bean's oh, out yeah. there running around the practice. You yeah, get a, kind of a little merry-go-round. Yeah, super. We'll give him a Superman. You Superman, had to be Superman, yeah. swung him around, but. We just embrace it, you know, and it's a huge deal. And I tell you what, if, if people are out there listening, and you got a job, and you run an office or something like that, right? Just think, bring the kids around. I mean, it's it's great for morale. It's great for it's great for families. You know, it's great. You're, I think you get more out of your people. Our our guys bring their kids in here. I mean, moms are happy. You know, there's four hours on a Saturday morning where the kids, you know, are they're they're not home. You know, they're here, and yeah. and, and our people here, Megan McLaughlin leads that, as you know, and kind of gets everybody organized and Val. So it's just it's uh, it's huge. It's big. It's a big we, deal. And it doesn't have to be just sons. Joni, no, it's girls too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Joni used to come in the office. She was the best hot splicer that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and hot splicing in those days, you'd cut film, and they say cut the film up. Right. Cut the film. You actually took a pair of scissors and cut the film. It goes back to the analytics thing. It's a little different yeah, these it's days. A little different. <laughs> and the iPad pulled yeah, up. Yeah. And then you would hot splice him. You had a hot splicer. Joni's the best I've ever seen. 12 years old. And, and she'll tell you that. She's got these little burns on her fingers. She's calloused up. She's calloused up. A great point. So, so one thing I want to uh, get from you guys, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of coaching philosophy. You know, you're going into your 11th season. You spent 14 seasons at the longest run. You had Western Kentucky. 14 years there, correct? Um, there's just basically when you have been in the place for as long as you have, just basically the approach that you take in terms of the narrative of keeping the message fresh and reinventing, not reinventing, but just basically that whole conversation, you know, because I think it's something that coaches, I'm guessing you probably spend a good amount of time thinking about it when you're coaching is how you deliver that message and how the team turns over every year, but just how you go about that whole dynamic. Well, I mean, that, I think that's kind of a, is a red herring? Is that the right word, you right. guys? I mean, it's just the, the, the message is it's the relationships. Yep. It's the relationships that you keep fresh. It's, it's the it's the it's the day to day, the back and forth. I mean, we talk about our pillars in our program and our principles and things that never change. I mean, those things, they don't change. They're not supposed to stay fresh. 
There's, they've been around. If you look at the old ancient pillars from, from ancient Rome and before that, you'll see a lot of stones on the ground, you know, in the Parthenon or whatever, everywhere. But what's still standing? Mm-hmm. The pillars. Right. The pillars aren't going anywhere. You know, the pillars are what, are what the, the, the whole building is built on. That's the foundation and all that. And so those things don't change. But all the other stuff, all those stones, that changes. You know, the messages, the, the, the stories that you tell, the conversations that you have, the time you spend with people, with kids, with wives, girlfriends, all that kind of stuff. The things that you deal with. I mean, players have, they're human beings. They have stuff. Coaches have stuff happen. You know, you got to be involved in all that stuff. To me, that's what keeps it fresh is the relationships. And that's what keeps a team strong. I mean, a team is a family in so many ways. And, you know, families have good things and bad things and tough patches. And you, got, you work through it for, for a common goal, for a mission. You know, and let's, let's, let's remember what the mission is and what we're here for. But uh, I don't think that, I think the whole fresh thing is, is really less about, less about a, a statement or a message than it is about, you know, building a team of people together. I, I think John is right on with it. Uh, each team is different. I mean, each team, even yeah. I know in the pros, some guys are around 10, 12, 14 years. College, they're only, you know, they, it's a three-year, four-year, five-year swing, and they're, and they're gone. But each team, as you begin the season, is totally different. Right. And, yep. and how you address that team is fresh. Yes. It, it, it's not the same message. You may use some of the same words, but... You, you're talking to that specific team. And as you, as you go from game to game during that season, each game is a little different. You know, an injury here, an injury there, the team you're playing. And you and you, the coach will lay awake at night, at least I did, and about 4 o'clock in the morning, boom, my eyes are wide open. I'm looking at the ceiling and some idea comes, yes. some approach that you want to take with your team that next day yep. because of something that happened in the last game yep. or something that happened yesterday. And, that's fresh. Yep. I mean, right. it, it, it's new and, and, and it hasn't been told. Well, uh, I think what's, it, what's interesting, too, is that teams are so young, too. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of bumped because you only have a handful of guys maybe that, that are there longer than four or five right. years. You right. know, the Suggs and Flacco and those guys. But most of the guys on the team, even key role players or yeah. starters, have only been there for three years. It's all fresh to them. Well, and you've got to be an entertainer, too. I mean, you can't. Right. You do. I mean, you're a coach. You know, you, it's like a teacher. Great teachers could entertain their class. you got to get in front of that room or you, or you just, just, just have lunch in the cafeteria, but really in front of that room. And you got to keep it. You got to keep it fresh. I mean, right. you got to have some material. You got to come up with some new material because they've heard jokes before. Or you tell some of the old jokes to the new guys. You wink at the old guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, here it comes. You know. But, but you you have to have fun with the guys because you're yeah. always talking to your team. And that's one thing I think it's important for fans to remember too. When a head coach gets up in front of the media, even you're talking to the fans because you know that's a way to communicate with the fans. But really, the coach isn't the leader of the fans. The coach is the leader of his team. Right. So you're leading your team even when you talk to the fans and the media. So when I'm talking to the, to the media, I'm talking to my team. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking to the fans, but I'm really talking to the team mm. because the team's going to read it. And you got to remember, when I, you step there and you say something, you know, that player is watching his, with his wife and with his kids and with his mom and dad or his brothers and sisters or his buddies. They're watching and listen to every word you say about them or the game or whatever happened, and it's personal. Mm-hmm. So you can't get up there and well, you act like you're just talking to the fans and, and, and the media, but you're not also leading your team at the same time. So you communicate with them all the time in, in a lot of different ways. I mean, that's a tough balance. What, what is one thing that you would say uh, has, has changed about the way that you coach uh, since you started here? And, and Jack, kind of similar question. You know, you've seen John do it first up close, you know. How have you seen him 
grow, change, or whatever over the past 10, 11 years here? The one thing I learned early in my career, I was at the University of Michigan for those seven years. We won five Big Ten championships. We went to three Rose Bowls and an Orange Bowl in those seven years. I mean, we had, and, and, and Bo Schembechter, me, was the sun coming up in the morning, and I mean, he was everything to me. I, so when I went out to be a head coach, uh, how would Bo do that? Yeah. You know, how would Bo say that? You know, what message would he give today? I spent more time worrying about what Bo would do than, than what I would do and who I was, mm. and uh, got fired. You know, mm. I got that, we're moving in a different direction, and I said, which direction are they were going? And they said, well, we're going this way, and you're going that way. <laughs> <laughs> I had that message delivered to me. Can I go in that direction? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going? And I had that happen. And so I was fortunate enough to get another shot at yeah. Western Kentucky, and I made up my mind I was going to be whom I was. Yeah. That's what I was going to do. And I don't know where it was going to take me, but that's what I was going to do. And the thing that brings so much joy it, to me now is to be able to watch John and to be able to watch Jim and Tom Crean to a degree with Joni, although I, don't, I know nothing about basketball. <laughs> Each one of them are themselves. Each day they're themselves. And one day it, uh, it, it may be one, it's something else, but it's them being themselves and, and who they are that day. And that makes me as proud as anything that they accomplish as a football coach or their teams accomplish. Is it hard to be a parent watching from, you know, you live in Michigan now and watch, follow the Ravens from, from a distance and see basically the highs and the lows. And if the team loses a game, whether it's, you know, it goes through a rough stretch and there's criticism um, and you know how hard, you know, Jim and John and, and Tom are all working basically like be, being away from it and removed from it, but also being inside of it because you're so close to obviously your children. And just basically having to watch it from that distance as a parent and being like, I want to help. And, you know, just the highs and the lows of, of a coach when you're removed from the situation. You know, I've been around it so long. I understand, okay. understand that. And I understand there's, there's criticism. And uh, you, can't, you can't focus on that. You can't, you can't look at that as, as how you're going to coach your team or how you're going to approach your team that next day. Mm -hmm. You can't worry about what's, what, what the outside noise is. I mean, you've got you to gotta be strong enough to, you know, to, to bring it all back and, and focus on this. And there's been times we've called, John. I mean, you know, they've been unfortunate and lost a tough, tough game. My first thing is I can't tell you how proud I am of you. I mean, you coached that, that football team. That, that team was prepared to play, and they played as hard and as well as they could possibly play, and this, this, this not what, it was not your day. But, uh, but I, 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 I wished, I really wished, and I say this sincerely, I wished I would have had a chance to have been mentored by a John Harbaugh and a, and a Jim Harbaugh before I ever started my coaching career. I'll tell you what, I'd have been a better coach. I would have been a much, much better coach. Well, the reason that maybe that's true because we got a chance to get mentored by, by you and by mom and learn those kind of lessons, you know, whether it's being yourself because we learned from that, that experience that you had, you know, and took that with us and didn't have to learn that the hard way for ourselves. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Of course, you call John and say, there's dang refs. <laughs> no, that's his mother. I'm so proud of you, no, but I'll John. tell you there's no, refs. That is, that is me. That that is the I mother. can vouch for this. <laughs> really, yeah. she's the one. There is no officials ever made a call against a Raven football team <laughs> when her son was coaching that. A referee did that. that well, I won't say what she says because I can't use the. It's all it's PG, but but she she's very uh, she's loyal. 
And you talk about watching a game. In our house, on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening or whatever, when the game is being played, we can't watch the game together. I mean, really? she is stomping the floor and just <laughs> screaming and yelling at the screen and, and going off and off. And I, I just want to watch. Just let me. I'm comatose. I'm here. I'm watching. This. So I'm in the basement yeah. watching, and she's upstairs watching. And unfortunately, <laughs> in our home in Ann Arbor, there's a delay. Oh, gosh. She gets to play about <laughs> two seconds before I get it. No! And I'm thinking, they're, I'm just putting the quarterback's putting his hand under center. I said, this isn't good. <laughs> As God is my witness, I can only hope and pray that there's more cheers <laughs> than no. It was to hear before you know what happened. Yeah, how, long, but how long? Yeah, seriously. How long does it take before you call him? Stop that! You're <laughs> ruining the entire I tell you what I, 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 I'm sitting here, vouch for what I'm doing. I'm crossing my heart and raising my hand. I. Close the, the basement door. <laughs> I try to seal out any kind of noise I can get. I put on a pair of earphones. No. I, I'm telling you. Just so I don't know. I, awesome. Even good plays, I want to see them. I, I don't want to know what's coming. Yeah. So uh, That's funny. John, question for you. What, do you. what would you say, and I know this is big picture, uh, what's the best part of being an NFL head coach, and what's the toughest part? What's your least favorite part of the uh, The best part is being around the guys. The best yeah. part is having my daughter be a part of it and be on the sideline. Yeah. Uh, going into the weight room and working out with the coaches and the, and the players and laughing. Going to practice and going through a practice. I mean, everything that you do through the week is the best part. The toughest part's the games. You know, the game's the toughest part because, you know, that's where, that's where you know, things happen. They're so out of your control. Yeah. I mean, just so hard for you to just really get a handle on. But, you know, when I'll say this, though, the most rewarding moments are the ones where you, you're able to, you know, either a player makes a play, that something you worked on, or you come up with an idea, or one of your coaches had some kind of a game plan idea that works, or you, or you make a call, you know, you go for it, and it works. Um, those are the things that are definitely the most rewarding parts of it in the end. So it's kind of all intertwined, but, but being around the players – being a part of a team, uh, you know, that's what, it's all, that's what it's all about. Yeah. All right, so let's finish with some quick hitters. We got some quick hitters here that we want to ask you I'm about. I'm never good at these. Are you good at these? I know. I think you like some of these, John. Okay. <laughs> I think you like some of these. All right, we'll start off. Because you're a history guy. Okay, we'll start off with you. If you could step back into the time machine and go back in time, what time period are you going to? Well, I'm going to go, to, I'm going to go from a faith standpoint. I got to go to, you know, first, first century, you know, Israel. Mm-hmm. Palestine and hang out and see what the heck went on there. That's pretty good stuff. Would you rather go back in time or go into the future? Oh, ooh, I'd <laughs> rather go back in time. I, I'd like mm. to. I'd like to see Lincoln. I like to. I like to be around Churchill. I like to be around Lincoln. I like to be around Washington. Uh, yeah, some of those guys would be pretty amazing. Well, that's my segue to the next yeah. question. If you could have dinner with one person, historical figure of all time, who are you going to dinner with? I'm going with Lincoln. Ooh, ooh that's a good one, Jack. You know, I'd like to hang around church a little bit. Huh? Smoke a cigar? Yeah. I don't think I would smoke, and I'm not sure I would drink as much brandy as he <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good one, though. Just like to watch him draft up a, one of those oh, magnificent those talks. Yeah. How he moved those words around and put them in the place that he put them in. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Nice. All right, and favorite guilty pleasure TV show for both of you? Uh, kind of like The Office. I've been on a run on The Office. Yeah. I've been working my way through it, Have actually, you? too. My right. wife and I have been watching it. It's so it's funny. Strong. It's strong. It's strong. It holds up. The test it of time, too. It does. <laughs> Blue Bloods. 
Okay. Blue Bloods. Is anyone here, you watch Blue Bloods? No, I haven't. Oh, you but... got to watch it. We get more things. I say we, I'm talking about me. I get more things out of this. Frank Reagan is the police commissioner in New York City. Played by Magnum P.I. By Magnum P.I. Tom, uh, Tom Selleck. Every show, there's five or six things he says in there that you could actually use for a pregame talk. Can you send me some of those? Yeah, the ultimate coach. <laughs> this goes back you to keeping the message fresh. Exactly. We're, we're, we're exactly. ultimate coach. You, you aren't getting them? I'm not getting it from the office. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> Give some Michael Scott speeches. Exactly. Yeah. That probably wouldn't be going over well. That was good. <laughs> and la- last one, we'll end on this. You're the NFL commissioner for a day. What are you changing? Oh, man. I, 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 <laughs> we got, where's your list? You want me to get fined again? You know? Dan, let's go to you on that one. <laughs> you know what? I'm stumped. <laughs> I'm dead. Guy's got a tough job, man. He's got yeah. a tough job. I, I, did, I would say this. I really hope and pray that the CBA, that then this next time around, that they, they do they cooperate. You know, that, that the league and the union can cooperate. Because really, hey, we're all in this thing together. We're, it's, it's for the game of football. Let's get our minds together, get our heads together, and do some good things for both sides, for the game and for the fans. You, know, you should sit down at the bargaining table. You know, it's a little off-season, you know. Come in there, be the negotiator. I feel like both sides wouldn't want me in there. I feel like they might. <laughs> What's he doing in here? Get out of here. It's cool. Well, thank you so much, thanks, guys. Great. Really appreciate thanks, it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Had a great so time. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so thank you to John and Jack Harbaugh. Just really enjoyed the conversation with them. Obviously, um, you know, got some good stories out of the two of them. Um, both guys are super passionate about football. That comes across, and, and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, certainly with John and Jack. That's for sure. And we, now I know I got to talk about the office some more. That's the key. I didn't realize that. You know, I've been, you and I actually guy. have both been watching, going back and rewatching these episodes of The Office. Basically, You've been into it too. I thought you were just saying that because no, 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 John really, yeah, you were making that up. You know, my wife Christy, she basically started. <laughs> she started this. I don't know, a couple months ago. Like whenever there's a down moment, just like put it on. Every season is on Netflix. It's yeah. super easy. It's it, it's a quick, easy half hour. That like is just relaxing television if you're like eating lunch or something like that. Well, it's 22 minutes. 22 minutes, yeah, right. even faster. So you can you can squeeze <laughs> out a whole bunch of episodes, and also you're like, wait, I just knocked out five episodes. Well, every every night too, I'm always like, Chris and I will be watching. It's not every night, but we'll be watching it, you know, and it comes at 11 o'clock, and you're like, now can one, I squeeze one out more? one more? Yeah. One more? Yeah. Yeah, sure, one more. And then yeah. the next day, ah, oh, we should. Yeah, I feel like crap. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, good stuff. We'll um, just have to see if there's any Michael Scott pregame speeches that we yeah. him. Yeah, I, I did send John that clip of the cats jumping at each other and that that cat tackling yeah. the other. He used it in the team meeting. Nice, perfect. So I'm helping the cause <laughs> in terms of keeping it fresh around here. Uh, but really good stuff. And uh, you know, I think you can sense from from both of them. You know, Jack after watching a few days of practice, that they're really excited for football. Yeah. I think that this team is is. Looking good, trending in the right direction, and uh, I can't wait for Thursday night in Canton to see what this team's got. We're not, you know, it's I don't, I don't know if Joey's going to play at all. I doubt but, it. Right, I doubt it. But so it's not a true test, but I'm still excited to see whatever we can see. Yeah, absolutely. It's real football. We're going to get up to see a lot of Lamar Jackson, Ray Lewis. Obviously, you know the Ray Lewis experience is going to yep. be a three day affair in Canton, Ohio. So. Um, we're excited for that. And so just, you know, if people are wanting that content, we're going to have a whole team out there providing content throughout the next few days, and we're excited about that. And we're taking the podcast on the road. We Don't are. leave that yep. out. We're yep. going to bring the podcast to Canton. So some exclusive, exclusive duh, 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 <laughs> content from the Hall of Fame game. Make sure you keep it locked right here. And we'll be back with you 
in three days? A couple two, of days. Two, three days. Something couple like days. that. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you later.